بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله. My brothers and sisters, we sent out a questionnaire on social media and got many different topics that the people would like to hear. All of them are very different and it was very hard to choose which one. So I chose a topic that will cover about half of the requests and inshallah I think it was a very good uh, thing that we did because coming to Ramadan I think this will be a very nice topic to start off with inshallah. We want to go to the hearts because the heart is the most precious and most valuable thing we have. If the heart is wrong, the rest of the body is wrong. As Rasulullah stood up one time and said, Behold, in this body there is a morsel. And if it is right, the rest of the body is right. And if it is corrupt, the rest of the body is corrupt. Behold, it is the heart. The rest of the body meaning spiritually, physically, mentally and emotionally. If the heart is not right, all of that is not right. All of that is not right. So my brothers and sisters, let's enter into this topic. And I begin first of all uh, with a little scenario which I want to put ourselves in. The topic today, the seven who will be shaded under Allah's shade on the day when there will be no other shade but His shade. So let us go through them insha'Allah ta'ala. The scenario, it is an Islamic belief, it is the Muslim belief that after this world there is a day of judgment, a day of accountability. The evil who got away with his or her evil shall be held to be accountable and questioned for every evil they did, every injustice they did. God help them. Well, there's no help for them on the day of judgment, but God help them now if they are not guided and fixed their ways. Every person who did an atom's worth of evil, it will be produced. And every person who did an atom's worth of good, it will be produced. So those who did good and nobody noticed and died and passed away, Allah has recorded every atom's worth. Nothing goes lost. Right now is our work. The hereafter is Allah's work. Now we work. Now we obey. Now we worship. Now we have choice. Now we have freedom. And we have a conscience to choose which way we want to go. But everything will be recorded. In the hereafter day of judgment, it is Allah who acts and we have to receive. We are judged. No more worship on that day. No more good deeds. No more saying, Ya Rab, take me back. Let me do better. It's over. Allah has given us the guidance. He's given us the Quran. He's given us the prophets and messengers. And now in this modern world, nearly every person in the world hears about the guidance of Allah. We have the Quran that is unchanged. And the messenger Muhammad's words, they shine and they get even bigger and greater and more manifested than any other time. La ilaha illallah. Rasulullah did say, This deen of Allah, this religion of Allah will reach whatever the night and day has reached until it enters not a single, until it does not leave out a single home, whether it is urban or city, in remote land or in the heart, meaning 90%, 99% of the world it will reach. And it will enter with either the people receiving it with pride and happiness or it will approach them and they will reject it and they, and they will receive it with agony, hate and misery. But it will face you. The truth will face you. So we are seeing that now. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam tells us, and of course the verses are many in the Quran about the hereafter, the day of judgment. He said, the hadith is in Imam Ahmad <clears throat> and many similar to it. He said, on the day of accountability, the sun will come closer to the earth. 
How will it come closer? Only Allah knows. Is it the same sun as today? Most likely not. In fact, the Quran says the heavens will change and the earth will change from what you see now. Therefore, the physics we know today, the celestial bodies and the way the sun is, the way the moon is, will not be the same. After the world ends and the day of accountability comes. It says the sun will be so close to the earth and people everywhere who were standing there shall sweat. The sweat is not normal. It's not like the sweat here on a hot day, 40, 45 or 50 degrees. People will sweat. And then he described it as follows. Some sweat will reach their ankles. Others will sweat until it reaches their knees. Others will sweat until it reaches their hips. Others will sweat until the sweat reaches their shoulders. Others will sweat until their sweat reaches their mouth. Others will sweat until the sweat covers them all together from their sweat. Everyone depending on the amount of sins that they have accumulated in this life. Then he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, giving us hope. He said, and there will be on that day seven types of characters, seven types of people. And then he describes their qualities. Seven who will be shaded and protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the hardships of that day. How will he protect them? Either by the shade of his throne or by his own protection in different ways or whether the angels will come and surround that person and protect him and give him or her the feeling of safety and security. There are many different ways that Allah gives protection. So the word shade in Arabic is a metaphor for protection, support, and looking after you and sheltering you from all of the harm on that day, including the sun. And he enumerated, the hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim. Number one, Imam Adil, a just ruler, a just leader. Number two, a young, a young person, a youth, who spent their youth in the worship of Allah. The youth is from puberty, and what's generally agreed among the scholars, up to 35. Some said 40. And some even went to the extent of 50, but generally speaking, 35. Number three, a, a man whose heart is connected and attached to the places of worship. Number four, a man, two men or two people who meet each other and love each other for the sake of Allah. When they meet, it's for the sake of Allah. When they depart, it's also for the sake of Allah. I'll explain it soon. Number five, a man whom a woman of beauty and status called him to inappropriate, or called him to the bed, and then he remembers Allah and says, I fear Allah. Number six, a man who donates so secretly that, it is, that nobody else knows. Another hadith says his left does not know what his right did. Again, this is a metaphor, but I'll explain it. And a man who remembers Allah in seclusion so much so that the fear of Allah makes his heart weep, makes his eyes weep, and he cries. The first thing I want to say about this, number one, are there other things that a person can do 
which will cause them to be shaded on the day of judgment? Other than these seven? The answer is yes. And I will insha'Allah say what they are. Number two, is this hadith only for men? Since Rasul is always saying a man, two men. And I want you to learn this principle, brothers and sisters, forever. Anytime the Quran or a hadith says men, by default, it also means women. And this is unanimously agreed by all the scholars and all the Arabs who speak Arabic. And whenever a woman is mentioned in the Quran or in the hadith, automatically it also means the men. Unless there is specific verse or hadith that tells you no, it is only specified for women or only specified for men. An example of where men are mentioned which includes women is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he mentions in the Quran those who are honest and truthful in their worship then there is no harm upon them and no sadness and he mentions it in the masculine term al-mu'minin the feminine term is al-mu'minat but Allah says al-mu'minin that means it is also the women because women also worship and pray same thing in another verse of the Quran Allah mentions women he says those who accuse women of inchastity of indecent behavior accuse them and do not bring four witnesses who I witnessed the fornication then whip each one of those who accused her with 80 lashes each so they do not accuse people the hadith the ayah is talking about the women but it's also true for the men any ma- any woman who accuses men of zina or fornication or adultery should also bring four witnesses otherwise the women are also whipped 80 lashes for their accusation. So these are two examples of verses where men are mentioned, but the women apply, and women are mentioned and men are applied. But whereas verse is specific to women, such as their dress code, such as specific matters in divorce, such as specific matters in pregnancy and breastfeeding, of course we know that these verses are specific for women. And there are others specific for men. We're not going to talk about that today, but generally speaking, 90% Whenever you say men, it means women. And definitely in all of these seven characteristics Rasul mentioned, it is for both men and women. Let's go through them, inshallah. But before we go through them, I promise you, there are other qualities which make a person be shaded under Allah's shade. Let's go through them quickly, inshallah. Just to give you a good feeling of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy and blessing. So not everybody can apply all these seven perfectly. So Allah gives out of his mercy others. The hadiths are in Fathul Bari by Imam Ibn Hajar. He said, also the one who is shaded is the one who relieves someone's hardship and burdens. There are people who, who have that quality. They love to help people who are destitute and in hardship. And they always go out of their ways to find a way to relieve their hardships, whatever they're going through, whether it's through um, government uh, debts or bills, whether it's something going on in their family that they are uh, stuck in, whether it's homelessness, whether it's job, whether it's anything, these people go out of their way helping for the sake of Allah, not as a job, but for the sake of Allah to relieve these people from their burdens. And even people who take on a job, with the intention that it is for the sake of Allah because they like to relieve people's 
hardships, then insha'Allah they also fall under this. Number two, someone who helps someone else pay off their debt. Also, again, these are people who will be under his shade. Number three, excelling in good character. A person's character reaches a point where they are amazing, that person will be shaded. Another one is the person who loves walking to the places of worship, to the mosques, footsteps. No, another one is defending someone's right and to get their right back. Someone who advocates and works to get the right of somebody who their right has been taken away from them. Another one is an honest and trustworthy businessman or businesswoman. A person who is trading or doing business, selling and buying. They are honest and fair and trustworthy in their trade. They'll be shaded under Allah's shade. An, onf an orphan sponsor, a person who sponsors orphans, will also be under Allah's shade. Another one is a financially generous person who helps others or spends on others in need. They're not miserly, they're always helping. That person will be under Allah's shade. Another one is sheltering and protecting a person in need or in fear. Giving protection and peace to somebody who is in fear. Also, and obviously justly, not when somebody is in fear because they've killed someone, no. But a person is generally in fear when they're oppressed. Another one is making wudu properly even in discomfort and inconvenience. You still make wudu and you don't say, I'm not going to make wudu, I'm going to let my prayer go because it's too cold or it's rainy. Another one is sheltering and protecting a, resistant, a resistance fighter in truth and justice. A fighter who is fighting in truth and justice, who is protecting the innocent. Another one is supporting and assisting a soldier who stands for justice and peace. In Islam, of course. All of these brothers and sisters earn a person shelter on the day of judgment so long as they die upon these characteristics. And now let us go to the seven. What is the difference between the seven who are shaded and these ones that I mentioned? Why did Rasulullah mention the seven by themselves and gave so much emphasis and importance to them? And these other ones I mentioned are scattered hadiths here and there. The answer to that is what the scholars said. The seven that the Rasul mentioned, they, are, they reside in the core of the heart of a person and they guide your actions. Whereas the others, they reside in your actions and they then eventually affect your heart. One comes from within and the actions are automatically shown and the other ones they come from your actions with some, with some uh, foundation in your heart, but they improve your heart. So therefore the seven is really who you are. It's the core of your heart. It's like the CPU of your brain, of, like the computer, right? It's the heart of it. And it governs your actions. Whereas the other one is just for people out of blessings and mercy from Allah for those who don't reach that level. Let's go through them. Number one, a just and fair leader or ruler. The scholars describe this person in two. The first one and the ultimate one is a ruler of the Muslim land. And everyone under that ruler who was given authority and leadership to govern or to look after the affairs of people. So one who is a leader of people, one who has the people's affairs in their hand and their control. They have the power to oppress or to be fair and just. 
if he, is, if he or she is fair and just, and of course there are categories, there are some where women are not allowed to be, according to Islam, and some where women can be. So they all can be in leadership positions, some one way or another, in which people's affairs and fate are in their control. When I say fate, I mean that the fate of what Allah has given them to decide on things for their uh, livelihood. The other interpretation the scholars gave is anybody who was given a position of leadership, even if it's small, even if it's inside of the home, like the mother, the father, uh, a school principal, an owner of a big business in which people are working under, a person who is a leader of a big organization in which people, people's affairs are reliant on that principle, that person has the power to be just to the people who are working under them or they are in charge of, or they, they have the power to ruin their lives. These people, if they are just and fair to them, then inshallah, like an employee even, employer for example, to a lesser extent, so long as they apply justice. All the way down to the father and mother. Is this understood? Inshallah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in Sahih Hadith Muslim, those who are just, they will be on the day of judgment on high towers of light. On the right side of the most merciful. This is again a metaphor, which means they will be in a special closeness to Allah. Because in Arabic, when we say right, it, also, it means literally right, and it also has a metaphoric meaning, which means the close one who will be treated with special favors. That's what it means. And they are the ones who are just in their rulings and their uh, execution and their own families and whatever they are in charge of. Your families, your children, all of that. The people, whatever you are in charge of. Let's move to the next one. Or let me just finish that. Because anybody who takes care of others and shelters them with justice and goodness, then they deserve on a day of judgment to be treated in the same way. Allah will also shelter them with justice and goodness, just like they sheltered people's affairs with justice and goodness and they were trustworthy. And the opposite is true. Any person of power who is unjust to, or unjust to the people that are reliant and dependent on them, Allah will give them the same reward on the Day of Judgment, where they will also be denied sheltering and support from Allah on the Day of Judgment. Number two, a youth, boy or girl, man or woman, male or female, who chose to dedicate their youth in the worship of Allah. Now, there's nothing special about that. To dedicate, it's like, sounds really big. All it means is the opposite. We know that youthful people have a high level of hormones, high level of energy, more temptations. Mentally, they've got more reasons to go astray because they're thinking, I've still got my whole life ahead of me. They think I've still got time. They've got their strength, their health. Yes, they have a bit more time than the elder, older people. They have less responsibilities than older people. And they have more time to think about, so they can be deceived with it. So, Rasul focused on them and said, the youth who spend their time not following their temptations, 
and they're disciplined in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as much as they can, they deserve the shelter of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because, because they sheltered themselves from very difficult temptations. And the young people, the younger you are, the harder it is to fight the temptations. The more difficult it is to restrain yourself from haram. Therefore, the equal reward to that is fair because their struggles and their challenges are stronger. Therefore, when they shelter themselves from it and they try their best, they deserve the shelter from Allah on the Day of Judgment more than an older person who doesn't have the same challenges as the young people. Does that make sense? A youth who was raised in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They didn't let the abuses, the teasing, the bullying, the ideologies that came to attack this young person on the internet, on social media, among their friends, among their peers, at school, at work, among their families. They held tight and they stood firm on their identity and their ideals. These people, these young people, are special to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why Rasul sallallahu alayhi said, even though the hadith is weak, but from different angles, the meaning is true. That the young person, Habibullah, a young person who's constantly repentant, coming back to Allah, repenting from their sin and coming back, doing the sin and coming back and trying, always up and down, up and down, and not giving up, is one of the beloveds of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa used to have young people around him all the time. He loved the young people because he looked after them and saw them as the future, more than the older people. And their minds need to be cultivated and they are braver, more courageous, ready to accept new innovations and ideas. Innovation, I mean in worldly innovations, not religious innovations. But they are ready and truly the deen was built on the youth, mashallah. Although the youth need guidance and wisdom from the elderlies, the deen was built on them. And there was a whole chapter of the Qur'an dedicated to the youth called Surah Al-Kahf. So the bigger the challenge, the bigger the reward. Number three, a man whose heart is attached to the places of worship. I told you that when you say man, it means also women. There are two interpretations among the scholars and both of them can be merged together with this meaning. Is it the mosque itself that the hadith is saying the hearts are attached to? One interpretation, one meaning is correct. But there is also another meaning that goes with it. Both of them are correct. One, the person whose heart is attached to any mosque because they're attached to prayer and they love to pray in jama'ah. This is more specific to men because the Prophet ﷺ said, the best type of prayer for a woman, not the only, but the best, is inside her home, in her room. It doesn't mean that she doesn't go to the masjid. It doesn't mean there's no benefit for her in the masjid. But when it comes to congregational prayer, the men are more encouraged to be there. And when it came to the time of the compulsory prayers, uh, the best place of a woman to pray is in her bedroom. However, Rasulullah do not prevent the worshipping women of Allah from the mosques of Allah, from the houses of Allah. Even he said Laylan, even at night if they want to go. So all other times also, her heart is clinging to the masjid, his heart is clinging to the masjid, is all virtuous. And the other meaning that is merged to it, that some scholars took it to mean, generally speaking. So that's the specific meaning. The general meaning is 
that their hearts are clinging to the times of prayers. They're always watching. It's nearly time for prayer. They've got their clocks working. They've got their alarms going. They've got their clockwork in their head. No matter what they're doing, the salat takes priority to the best of their ability. Or at least, if they can't do it, their heart becomes at ease until they've prayed. These are the types of people, the sign where your heart is connected to salat. Masajid, plural, for prostration. Which means all prayer. You're always, your heart is clinging to the prayer, you're uneasy without your prayer being done. And the closer it is to its time, the better. So Rasulullah said, the most beloved prayer to Allah is the one on its time or close to its time. Unless you're praying in jama'ah, in congregation, then whenever the congregation prays, it's the best, even if it's half an hour later. The point is, a person's heart is clinging to the prayer. Unlike a person who is oblivious to prayer, doesn't care, misses their prayers, it's the last thing on their mind, or it's on their mind, but they're thinking, ah, this is a bit more important. They're lazy-daisy with their prayer, laxy-daisy, don't really care, don't take it seriously. So the ones who take their prayers seriously. Al-Imam al-Nawawi says, and its meaning is that they have intense love to sticking to the congregations, to the prayers, uh, and it doesn't mean sitting in the mosque. It doesn't mean you stay in the mosque. No, it means to the prayer itself. And that's why the general meaning is closer and the specific meaning of being at the mosque is more virtuous. Of course, who doesn't love the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? They love being in congregation whenever they have the chance. And in general, any time of salat, their hearts are cling to the salat. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, فَخَلَفَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ أَضَاعُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَاتَّبَعُوا الشَّهَوَاتِ فَسَوْفَ يَلْقَوْنَ غَيَّا Allah says then there came a generation who neglected their prayers and instead replaced it with following their temptations. And Allah says they will find on the day of judgment a terrible misery awaiting. So they better change. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises those who love the salat and are connected. The next one is two men who love each other for the sake of Allah and they meet upon it and depart upon it. It also encompasses the women. So it's a quality and it's not necessarily two people. Some people say, oh, it's like a soulmate, is it? Is it somebody that I meet specifically, just two of us, best friends? You know? BFFs, is that what he mean? No. The focus here is on the quality of the person, not the numbers, nor specific people. It's the quality that you have inside your heart that shows outside. What is that? The type of love that you have for people, how you love them, and based on what. What do you love people based on? What is your criteria? What is your measure? What is your balance? You cannot decide. Your heart decides. A lot of people misunderstand love and the heart in all avenues of life, especially in the modern day, Gen Z. They've got love all twisted upside down. And I believe it's because of their lack of understanding of what love is that relationships are also not stable. Got a twisted idea of love, a fantasy of love. I don't know what it's coming from. But let me explain something to you, brothers and sisters. There are those who love other people personally because of what they've done for them 
or natural love unconditionally, such as children, parents, like that. That's a personal love that is not shared by any criteria except you because you're related to them or because they've done favours for you. And this type of a person will only love someone if they find that they're there for them, they love them as well, they sacrifice for them. So it's a mutual, it's a mutual transaction. The love grows based on treatment. That's why you hear the term, I'll only love those who treat me well, and don't, don't treat me well, I'm not going to love them. And love is based on this. So this is a personal type of love. And that's a good thing. This is the same love Rasul the Prophet peace be upon him, had for his uncle, Abu Talib, who was a disbeliever. He loved him because his uncle supported him and protected him and looked after him and sacrificed for him and uphold the religion of Islam and what the Prophet stood for and he believed him and he said he is truthful and I will protect him till my death. Rasulullah grew so much love for him. But the Prophet wanted the higher love. He wanted the personal love and the religious spiritual love. The love that will not only make him together here in this life but the one that after their death they will be together in paradise as well. Unfortunately, Rasul could not get the second love. And this is the Sunni uh, stance that Abu Talib did not convert to Islam. And that on his deathbed, Rasul from his intense personal love for him, he came up to him and whispered, my uncle, because the leaders of Quraysh were there and his uncle was too entrenched with and, and too obsessed with his lineage and his culture and his and his tribalism and didn't want to look to the, in front of the leaders that he died on another belief and that he was more loyal to his culture and his tribe. So Rasulullah came close and whispered, says, uncle, just say it with your, just move your lips and I will bear witness for you on the day of judgment that you said it, my uncle. But he said, no, on the religion of my lineage and forefathers. And he died upon that, a disbeliever. Rasul at that point said, because of his personal love for him, he said, I will continue to ask Allah to forgive you after his death, unless Allah forbids me from doing it. I will continue. Then Allah forbid him. And the verses came down and gave us the example of Prophet Ibrahim also felt love for his father. Even though his father abused him, he wanted the best for his father. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, no. You, have no, you have no say in the matters that concern them and Allah. You have a say in what's between you two, but not between them and Allah. For Allah created them and Allah has his own wisdom and he knows who deserves forgiveness and who doesn't. And he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, the disbeliever who has made that choice, Allah knows he does not deserve Allah's forgiveness. No, we're not allowed to ask Allah for forgiveness for them. Now, of course, there are different types of disbelievers. There are those who have never heard about Islam, for example. God knows who they are, and Allah will judge them in their own way. There is a hadith from Prophet which is authentic, that there are people who never heard about Islam, never received Islam on the Day of Judgment, and among them are the people who, who, who are not mentally sane and so on. On the Day of Judgment, Allah will send out a prophet who will tell them, this is the fire, your God command you to throw yourself in there. If they disobey, they are disbelievers. And if they throw themselves, it is made cool and peaceful upon them. Now, every test is according to 
the circumstances. And that's the best test for them. Anyway, that's to Allah. But the point that I want to make here is, Rasul from his personal love he had for his, his uncle, except there was another love which is higher than that, that he was guided with. And that is the love of Allah. The love of Allah supersedes everything. And my love to you for the sake of Allah is by the criteria of what makes Allah pleased and what doesn't. Of what is loving to Allah and what is not. What is right by Allah and what is not. Not by my standards. I can love you personally. You can love your wife. You can love your husband. You can love your parents, even if they're disbelievers, even if they're evil. But evil, disbelievers, good disbelievers, bad disbelievers, whatever you want to call them. You may love them. But the love for Allah's sake is something different. That's special. And some people can love others for materialism because they want something from them. They look at what they have. And let's say, for example, my love is money. And I find someone who I know by, by, take, by having a relationship with them in whatever, partnership, whatever, I can get a lot of money out of them. So I show them love. But it's not because I love them. That's called fake love. It's because of, what I, because of the love of what I can get out of them. Those are two-faced people. They also show you love. And these are people who will only love you so long as they can gain something from you. The moment that's gone, they disappear as well. The third type of love is the one that you love someone for the sake of Allah. Now, who has that? The only people who can do that are the people who already have established the love of Allah already. They already have a love between them and God. And Allah loves them. You will find them automatically drawn towards the people Allah loves. Who are they? The moment you see a characteristic in a person that you know is loved by Allah, you find your heart drawn to them. I've seen a lot of these people. As soon as they see them, they don't know them. And then they find there are signs of religious actions in them. There's genuine religion in them. They've, they've asked about them. People have spoken about them. They have gone on travel with them, for example. The moment they see characteristics of the things which please Allah, their hearts are drawn to them. Now remember, there is a difference between your heart being drawn to them and between trusting them in everything. It doesn't mean that you have to trust them in everything. That comes in time. But the fact that you saw these actions in them, which you know as a person who loves Allah and Allah loves them, are in them those qualities, you can't help but your heart already be drawn to them and you start to love them for the sake of Allah. And these are many different levels. The love intensifies or goes less. The Prophet loved all of his companions. Every time he saw goodness in someone which Allah loves, he would love them more. And that's why he loved Abu Bakr the most out of all the men. And Rasul used to love different ones in different categories. And he used to say to uh, Abu Dhar, Wallahi, I love you. And to Mu'ad, Wallahi, I love you. And so and so, I love you. If only you would do this. So loving for the sake of Allah means you love the person for the qualities which Allah loves in them. That's a special type of love. And this, my brothers and sisters, is restricted, as I said, as the Prophet ﷺ loved his uncle. Now, some people, they do harm to themselves with love. There are different types of love, which I just want to give examples of which can be detrimental. Be very careful about them. Look after your heart. Number one, there is a love called that is based on codependency. Have you ever heard of that love? Codependency. 
It's a one-sided love. And that person who has a one-sided love will only do the things that make that person they love happy. But they don't care about their own happiness. They will do anything that pleases the other person, even if it's wrong, even if it's haram, even if it's illegal, so long as they see them love. They will go to prison with them, so long as they're together. While the other person is not really caring about them. They don't have the same love. Codependency. They feel their life is dependent on them being close to them. So it's a one-sided love. This is a toxic, terrible type of love. And if a person does have the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first, they will find themselves falling into that. The only one we have that codependency with is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For everybody will leave us and nobody, even our own mothers and fathers, how much do they love us? Our own children, no matter what happens, eventually, we will leave each other. And we'll be reliant and dependent on our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah is the most merciful. So if you lose that connection with Allah, nobody can replace it. The second, another type of toxic love is called infatuation. Be very careful about infatuation. Infatuation is a fantasy-based attachment. In your mind, you've got this imagination and fantasy about someone. And you've drawn this world in your own head, which is irrational. This is called an infatuation. And your health and well-being revolves around their closeness or their distance to you. You'll find people with infatuations, they, it can even be a wife or a husband, where it becomes where they just won't let you breathe. You're at work, if you don't reply to their message within the next 10 seconds, they lose the plot. If you're driving on the, on, on the road, you don't park and answer it immediately, there's this mental illnesses. They, you don't want to go home anymore. Too much called infatuation. Sometimes you're not married to them. It could be anyone. It could be a friend. Infatuation with this friend. They govern your life. They don't let you breathe. This is haram and this is a person who needs to establish their love to Allah and know that Allah comes before everything. There's also another type of love called a crush. I've talked about that. Again, another fantasy that people have. Irrational. Usually they have it towards celebrities and famous people. And the last one is, is, is very unique and, and quite dangerous. It's called a trauma bonding. Trauma bonding type of love. Examples of that, there's a disease called the Stockholm Syndrome. It's when the victim of abuse develops a love attachment to their abuser. For example, a child relies on their parent or their caregiver for love and support. And then instead they receive repetitive abuse cycles from their parent or caregiver. And the child associates after that abuse with love. And the child normalizes the abuse. And then copes by blaming themselves as they grow older. So they grow up a type where someone will abuse them, they'll associate it with love, and they're dependent on them, and then they'll blame themselves all the way. And some of them turned into abusers themselves and think that's love. They interpret tough love as abuse. Abuse as tough love. But they become abusive. And this is a very bad sickness. That's why loving for the sake of Allah, if a person can establish that, it'll save them from this cycle of sickness. And that is why Ali radiallahu anhu used to say, 
If you find yourself attached or drawn to the love of someone, give you, stay, stay a little bit of a distance. Don't love them with all your heart, because one day they may be the most hated to you. And if you find yourself hating someone, don't hate them altogether with all your heart. One day they might be beloved to you. Keep your heart at bay. This heart, my dear brothers and sisters, is precious. And those who attach it to love of material things, your car, your phone, your money, your purse, your house, your job, your fame, your reputation, your luxuries, if you attach that heart to it and make that the goal, everything in your life is destroyed. You pray, you pray for money. You give da'wah, you give da'wah for money. You talk about Islam, it's for money. You uh, associate yourself with people of goodness, it's for money. If you don't get anything out of it, your heart's not with it. This is a big problem. And another type of thing that happens from this type of love is called self-love. Not self-love as in like loving to make yourself better. I'm talking about narcissism, where you don't care about anyone else but yourself. Absolutely no emotions or empathy for anyone if you have no benefit from them. And narcissism is called... In Arabic, in the Quran, Al-I'jabu bin nafs, Al-Ghurur, which literally means arrogance and pride and vanity. You think you are superior to everyone else. Rasul said, a person with that will not enter paradise. So his love is for himself, not for Allah or her, because love for Allah is selfless. When you love someone for the sake of Allah, it's selfless. I come and meet you, I love you for the sake of Allah because I love that you love to pray. You love to be honest. You love to give charity. You love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You love to recite the Quran. You love to worship Allah. I love you for that. I don't want anything from you. I don't care about your color. I don't care about your race. I don't care about your gender. Brothers and sisters, I don't care about how much money you have or don't have, fame or not, ugly or beautiful. I don't care. That doesn't even cross my mind. The fact that I see you, a person who loves Allah and worships Allah, I know that Allah will most likely love you, so I'm going to love you. Based on that, and that's it. And I can love a brother for the sake of Allah, and I can love a sister for the sake of Allah, with no personal attachment. And is how we should all love each other. And one of the signs of it is when you hear about your brother or sister in pain, you're also in pain. You see someone being misguided, you really want them to be guided, and you try your best to be around for them. It's love for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My dear brothers and sisters, and that's, I want to say one more thing. In marriage, since we're talking about that, you know, in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not mention love when it comes to husband and wife. It doesn't say love. It doesn't say hub. There's an ayah in the Quran that says, He made between you mawadda and mercy. Mawadda is from where love comes from. Mawadda is a treatment. A treatment of love. But not necessarily in here. So a husband could love his wife, but not full-heartedly. A wife could love her husband, not full-heartedly. And when you get married, that love can be high and it can go lost. Sometimes a person doesn't love and then their love increases, depending on how you treat each other and sacrifice and spend your life. But there is something called mawadda. It is when you love to see your spouse happy and closer by your actions that you do, and you be selfless and try to grow together. But it has to be mutual. So Allah says mawadda and rahma. Rahma means mercy. And from there comes love. And I wanted to emphasize that because some people, I think too much Hollywood, too much Netflix, too many romantic movies, too many books, too many social media where they talk about love. And really, honestly, a lot of them don't know what it is. So they say, I don't love you anymore. Bang. Six weeks later, they're divorced. Why? I just don't feel it. Subhanallah. Marriage is not just based on that because love rises and falls. 
And I know that they've put it into our brain, love, love, love. Yeah, but the ultimate love is only for Allah. Nobody can love someone with all their heart. Nobody even loves themselves with all their heart. Do you divorce yourself from yourself? No. You try to nurture it, inshallah. Especially if you have children, nurture it, grow it together. You will never love everybody with all your heart. All right. I, and that's another topic. Finally, brothers and sisters, let me ask you. How can you increase your love for Allah? All right. So we know that loving each other for the sake of Allah, you have to have your love for Allah. How do I increase my love for Allah? I'm going to give you a few tips. How many? One, two, three, four, five. Just five tips on how to increase your love for Allah so that your love in your heart for Allah guides your actions automatically without even trying. Number one, since you're all internet savvy, savvies, savvy, is that what you say? Yeah. So you go on internet, go on Google and write, Allah loves, and see what comes up. You're going to get at least 13 things that Allah loves. Try to work on them. Then type Allah hates. You're going to get a list. Try to work on detaching from them. And watch how your love for Allah will increase. Number two, increase your regular dhikr. Do you know what dhikr is? Remembrance of Allah. Remembrance of Allah is in the heart and the tongue. Some people... Say, when they pray, for example, and they recite Qur'an in their salat, that's called zikr. Or they say, subhanahu rabbil that's called zikr. But they don't move their mouth. They just say it with their heart. No, you have to say it with your mouth. Number one, it's the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, and it's an obligation. Just like if you don't swear with your mouth or lie with your mouth, you will not get sinned. It stays in here. Same, if you think of something good, then say it. Zikr, then it will count. And there's something about the connection between the mouth and the heart, by the way. When you say it to yourself. You love your car? Beautiful. But say this. You get in your car and say, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Alladhi razaqani. Hadihi sayyara. Oh Allah, allow me to thank you for the blessing of giving me this car. And I wouldn't have gotten it without your blessing. And I am nothing without you. Just saying those words and repeating them reminds you to stay at bay in your heart. Insha'Allah. At a distance. You get new clothes. There's a dua. Praise be to Allah, my Lord, who has granted me and provided me with this new garment without, and I had no power in this decision. Attribute it to Allah. Keeps your heart at bay, not to be attached, and so on. So dhikr, what you say in the morning, what you say in the evening, and I've said it a few times, download it on App Store, Fortress of the Muslim. Try and take on zikrs from there and do them bit by bit and do them regularly, inshallah. When you love someone, you always mention them. You always text them. Isn't that correct? You'll call them. You like to see them because you're remembering. How do you remember Allah when you don't see Him or perceive Him? Through these words, zikr that are special to Him. Number three, do your prayers on time as much as you can. You might miss here and there a few prayers doing half an hour later. Try to do them on time. Here's one, win, one thing. Get into regular habit as much as you can. It's not 100%, 70%. That when the prayer hits, you leave everything you're doing. Wallahi, you'll be more productive if you do leave it and go and pray and come back. Number one, you re-energize your thought process. You, get a, you, you rest. Number two, you get to move around. Number three, you feel more organized and in order rather than rushing and having something on your mind. Number four, 
read about Allah's names, who he is, his mercy, his blessings, his forgiveness, what his angels say about him, and so on. You'll fall in love with his names, and you'll fall in love with some names more than the other. Some people get more of an attachment to some names more than others. And this is how you start to create a relationship with you and Allah. Google has a lot of information about it. And lastly, number five, you must recite the Quran every day. The words of Allah is your speech with Allah. وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ مِنَ اللَّهِ قَوْلًا Who is the best than Allah's speech? Recite the Qur'an. If you don't know how to recite it in Arabic, recite the ones you've memorized. Recite Al-Fatiha. One Sahabi companion, he used to recite قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٍ in his prayer. Always quote. Like no matter what he recited, he recited Fatiha, another surah, but he'll always say قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٍ in the first two rakahs. The angel told Rasulullah that you have a companion here who is infatuated, this is halal infatuation, with قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٍ. Ask him why. So he comes up. Says, who is the that keeps reciting Al-Ikhlas said me, Ya Rasulullah? Have I done anything wrong? He goes, no, you've actually hit the nail, yani, in other words. But that can only happen at the time of the Prophet He said, you recited Al-Ikhlas. He says, why? He says, I love it, Ya Rasulullah. I love Al-Ikhlas. I love how it tells me how God is just so one and unique and the only one and just does something to me. He said, the angel has come to tell me that he loves you for loving Surat Al-Ikhlas. <laughs> so you will have an attachment to something than the other. To give you a break, having said the ikhlas, I'll tell you about this funny joke. There was three guys, three young men. They wanted this same girl. This girl was very pious and good and everybody wanted them. These three boys. And her father was so religious, he says, oh, the ones who know the most Qur'an can take my daughter. So the first one comes up and the father goes to him, what's your name? He goes, my name is Yusuf. He said, yalla, recite all of Surat Yusuf to me. He goes, oh, he goes, can't recite it. Let me see. He starts reciting all the way. He makes mistakes. He's sweating. He goes, okay, I've got no hope. Maybe he goes, all right, let me see the other guy. The other guy comes and goes, what's your name? He goes, Yasin. Recite Surat Yasin. <laughs> he recites Surat Yasin, makes a lot of mistakes. The third guy's sweating and he's shivering. Comes and goes, what's your name? He goes, my name's Kulu Allahu Ahad. <laughs> Anyway, I just gave you a break. Uh, so, brothers and sisters, there is one more long hadith about getting closer to Allah. Rasul said the hadith in Bukhari. He said, Whoso Allah the Almighty has said, Whosoever acts with enmity towards a closer servant of mine, a wali, I will indeed declare war against him. Nothing brings closer my servant to me than doing of what I have made obligatory upon him to do. And my servant continues to draw nearer to me with voluntary nawafil prayers and acts so that I shall love him. When I love him, I shall be his hearing with which he shall hear, his sight with which he shall see, his hands with which he shall hold, and his feet with which he shall walk. And if he asks something of me, I shall surely give it to him. And if he takes refuge in me, I shall certainly grant it to him. Of course, the hand and the eyes and is a metaphor, meaning that Allah will be in your, with you, guiding you. You will feel his presence. Your eyes will hate to look at anything that Allah doesn't like. Your ear would then start hating anything Allah doesn't like. 
Your hands will start loving to do that Allah loves and hates to do the things that Allah hates. And your legs will find them always taking you to the best of places. How will you know that Allah loves you? I'll give you six. Number one, you will feel his love daily and you will feel it increasing. It is impossible for you to love Allah and you don't feel his love. Remember that. Number two, you will find love from the acts of worship increasing. You'll start loving acts of worship more. You'll just love them more. You don't even have to try. You're just, man, why am I loving to pray all of a sudden? Why is it becoming so special to me? Number f- why, do I, why do I love giving donation? Why do I love to do good acts? Number three, you will find hate and discomfort in disobeying Allah. It'll increase. The more and more you'll just start disliking. I, I don't know. Just, the friends that used to take in the bad places, just, I don't feel like going anymore. Why, what's happened to you? I just don't like that stuff. If it's haram, yani. if it's good, then go with those friends. Number four, you will, number four, you will find yourself talking to Allah more often and without hesitation. I saw a little clip of a worker in Medina who cleans. You know, there's workers, nobody really asks about them. He's sitting there in his blue um, outfit in the Masjid al-Nabawi, and he's talking like this. Okay? So you can see, it's, really, it's like he's talking to some invisible person in front of him and saying, I, this is what I can understand. I said to him that, and he kept on doing that. And I went this way, and that happened. And I tried, and I don't know what to do. Like that, that's what it looks like. He's talking with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As if he's talking to a friend. Do you understand? When you can talk to Allah like that, you have a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. La ilaha illallah. What a beautiful, beautiful thing for someone to reach that point. You will, number five, you will feel a sense of inner peace. Yes, on the outside, things don't go your way. You'll go through pain. Sometimes you go through worries. In fact, ham, worry, is a sign of iman. You probably think, what? Worry? Ah, there's a difference between worry, between worry and anxiety irrationally when you don't know what it is you're worrying about. But if there's something real and you worry about it and you rely on Allah, you get rewarded for it. Rasulullah went through worries, ham, very, very hard. But it was real. And you rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You turn to Allah. You get rewarded for that. You get rewarded for your sadness. You get rewarded for your little pain. You get rewarded for a pick of a needle. You get rewarded for your fears. Something really and you're afraid and you turn to Allah. You get rewarded for your uh, something sadness of the past. Fear of the future. Uh, pain right now. You get worried from people harming you or hurting you. All of that inshallah you get rewarded for. And lastly, you will love those he loves. A blessing, not a seeking. Meaning, you'll find your heart drawn by itself. Brothers and sisters, love is not something you seek. Love comes as a blessing from Allah through the treatment and actions. Finally, brothers and sisters, I'm going to go through these quickly, insha'Allah. Rasul said, وَرَجُلٌ ذَكَرَ اللَّهَ خَالِيًا فَفَاضَتْ And a person who remembered Allah in seclusion until his eyes wept. Allah says, مَنْ خَشِيَ الرَّحْمَنَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَجَاءَ بِقَلْبٍ مُنِيبٍ 
ادخلوها بسلام ذلك يوم الخلود الله says in surah qaf verse 33 to everyone who feared the merciful one though he is beyond the reach of perception to everyone who has come with a heart ever want to turn to him it will be said to them enter it enter paradise with peace and tranquility that is the true and ultimate end he fears allah in spite of knowing his mercy even though he has not seen or perceived allah in spite of knowing he is merciful and forgiving he feared disobeying allah nevertheless and refuses to disobey him in spite of knowing he is forgiving and merciful that is what it means to fear allah and to remember allah allah says اولئك الذين انعم الله عليهم من النبيين من ذريه ادم وممن حملنا مع نوح ومن ذريه ابراهيم واسرائيل وممن هدينا وجتبينا اذا تتلى عليهم ايات الرحمن خروا سجدا وبكيا الله says in surah maryam verse 58 These are the prophets upon whom Allah bestowed his favor from the seed of Adam and from the seed of those whom we carried in the ark with Noah and from the seed of Abraham and Israel they were those who we guided and chose for an exalted position they were such that when the words of the most compassionate lord were recited to them they fell down in prostration weeping and crying Now the weeping and crying here means literally and it also means like you feel it emotionally Those are the people remember Allah every now and then in the night they pray tahajjud they wake up in the night and they pray tahajjud they're in their car listening to something that reminds of Allah they look at the sky something happens they remember Allah and then their hearts weep their hearts shiver they you know they respond and these are the people is a sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will shade them Rasul sallallahu taught us a dua he said repeat after me everyone say Allahumma inni a'udhu bika من علم لا ينفع ومن قلب لا يخشع ومن نفس لا تشبع ومن دعوة لا يستجاب لها so rasul sallam used to say oh allah i seek refuge in you from knowledge which will not benefit and from a heart which does not fear meaning respond and feel allah Uh, the presence of Allah ومن نفس لا تشبع and from a body that it never gets enough it's never satisfied and from a dua which is never accepted and finally repeat after me ومن عين لا تدمع and from eyes that do not weep رواه مسلم finally uh, I always say finally but the last last one I think I, me- I, I missed it and that is a person a man whom a woman with power and beauty and status called him to the bed in haram and he says i fear allah this applies also to a woman where a man of 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 power and status and beauty also calls her to the bed and she says i fear allah 
A person once asked me, what, what if it's just a normal girl? Not status or beauty. What, just commit zina and I'm safe, I'm alright? I said, no. This hadith is talking about the intensity of the situation. In the past, men and women were attracted only to men of power, women of power, beauty and status. Because there was also slavery in those days. That was known among the world. But what it means, as the scholar said, is any temptation that is intense between two people. If you say, I fear Allah. So anything that attracts you to that person and you want to, you get the urge to sleep with them and then you say, I fear Allah. There are some people, they never put themselves in that position in the first place. They'll say, hold on a minute. What if it never happens to me? Does that mean I get no shade? I'm the one who's been avoiding all this, alhamdulillah. So I don't get there. I don't get rewarded for that and nothing. So oh, that's the ultimate character. This person is constantly fearing Allah. Not just at a time. Constantly. But Rasulullah is telling us, even if it gets to that, you will find that he or she will say, I fear Allah. Meaning, in their heart, they turn away. They get afraid of what is about to happen. And they don't get tempted. They get tempted physically, but their heart gets scared. They get scared. All they see is the fire. All they see is the punishment. All they see is the terrible stuff that can happen. And they walk away while the temptations are urging them. Doesn't that person deserve the shelter of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Because he or she has reserved that temptation for halal. Some people said to me, so do I get rewarded if I serve my temptations in halal? Do I get rewarded? The companions were sitting with the Prophet and he said, and he said to them, don't take for granted even the smallest of sadaqah. Sadaqah means charity in English. Some person said to me, so Rasulullah said, even in your marriage, with your intimacy together between husband and wife, there is sadaqah. <laughs> One person said to me, who's given the sadaqah here? I said, no, no, no. <laughs> Sorry about that. I had young people say that to me. Sadaqah <laughs> does not necessarily mean charity. Sadaqah means goodness and closeness and good deeds. So I said, any kind of intimacy between husband and wife in halal is an act of goodness that Allah rewards you for. They said, Ya Rasulullah, Ya Rasulullah, even while enjoying ourselves, he said, what if you were to use that temptation in haram? Would you get sinned? They said, yes. He said, for protecting yourself from sin and channeling that temptation to halal, Allah rewards you for it. Because you compensated and you chose the halal instead of the haram. How will these people not be sheltered in the shade of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us among those who are shaded on the day when there is no other shade but the shade of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us and guide us to a heart that is remembering of Allah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala connect our hearts and unite our cause in that which pleases Him subhanahu. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala let us see the right as right and let us see the wrong as wrong. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us to that which is right and grant us the path to it. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala show us what is wrong and grant us the ability to stay away from it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us to all the actions that lead us to, the, to Jannah. 
and whatever brings us close to Allah. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us from all the actions that take us closer to hellfire and away from Allah. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save and protect and forgive and have mercy upon our brothers and sisters in Gaza, in Palestine, in, Ra- in Rafah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect them and shower them with his shelter and protection. Ameen, ya Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.